Are the Denver Broncos doomed despite their comeback win over the Chicago Bears in week four? We talk about that and so much more coming up next year on this episode of Locked On NFL. You are Locked On NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, where your daily NFL podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ostriker of Locked On Ravens. I'm one of the many NFL experts here on our network. We're free and available all podcasting platforms. That includes over in video form on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs wants to find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, but sure, job for free on LinkedIn.com slash Lockdown NFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash Lockdown NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We're a five-day-a-week NFL podcast here, bringing you the biggest stories throughout the league every single weekday, every single week. And we have a bunch to talk about after Sunday's action of week four. So there were plenty of wild and crazy games, a couple of blowouts here and there. But in the first part of the show, we're going to talk with Sarah Benger of Locked on Broncos about, despite the Broncos' comeback win against the Chicago Bears, are the Broncos doomed? What to make of this Denver Broncos season? We'll talk with Sarah in the first segment about that. Then we'll take a look at the Chicago Bears end of things from the other side of that with Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears as we'll be diving into if it's already time for the Bears to throw in the towel on the 2023 season. It's been pretty rough for them so far. Then we'll move into a bit more positivity and talk with Lou DiBiase of Locked On Eagles as we'll get into if the Eagles are a team still at the top of the NFC as they're undefeated at 4-0. So without any further ado, let's first get into our conversation with Sarah Benger of Locked On Broncos. The Denver Broncos pull out a pretty miracle win, beating the Chicago Bears after being down 28-7, come back, score a bunch of unanswered points, win 31-28. Here to talk about the Broncos, and if they're doomed, even though they did come back and win this game, is Sarah Benger, one of the hosts over at Locked On Broncos. And Sarah, I know it's been a very tough start to the year for the Broncos. Obviously, you'll want to win in this league, but I think there are expectations for Denver going into the season and over the first month of the year. It's a lot different than what people anticipated. This game first. How did Denver come back and pull out a win when everybody left this Broncos team for dead after that first half? Well, many people may be surprised to find out that Russell Wilson, I feel like, was the major catalyst for it. I I know a lot of people have been talking through the first three weeks of the season like, man, there must be something going on with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. But anybody who's paid a lick of attention knows that it's the Broncos defense that's really been the problem. Of course, you give up 70 points. It should be an obvious red flag, right, against the Miami Dolphins. But we've seen Russell Wilson, despite it all, I think he's played well pretty much all season, but this was a game where against Chicago, he really started to take the game over in the second half, which is was surprising, I guess, given the fact that the offense, you know, needed to come back from being, like you said, down 28, seven. And they started off the second half by giving the ball pretty much right back to the bears, getting themselves in a hole with penalties. And so it was just, it was Russell making throws, converting third downs, getting the, the ball into the red zone. And then once he did making sure that the Broncos scored, they were three of three in the red zone in this game, I guess, including a first quarter touchdown, but 
it was started by Russ and the offense just kind of not giving up, but then the defense made plays when they needed to. So it was kind of encouraging to see that given all that has transpired over the last two weeks or so for this Broncos team. And I know that if, if this game didn't go the Broncos way, Sarah, if the Broncos had just gone out there and, you know, laid another egg and didn't come back and the bears put it to them, I think there would have been a lot of conversations about, well, you know, what's next? Is there a full on rebuild? You know, what do you do with Russell Wilson at that point? Does the fact that the Broncos came back and at least showed life in the second half of this game change that for you? Or do you still think that changes need to happen at some level, but maybe not as, I don't even know the word, maybe not as an extreme level that they could have happened if the Broncos had lost this one? Yeah, I think they do still need to make some pretty dramatic changes. Like I, like you said, I don't know exactly what that should be. Uh, maybe starting with Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator. I don't know if a, a heart-to-heart needs to happen there. But between the Dolphins and the Bears, and the Broncos gave up almost 1,200 or maybe over, depending. I need to check the final stats. I think it was over 1,200 total yards between those two games. So, yeah, 730-something against the Dolphins and then 470-something against the the Bears. So uh, you're, you may be better at math than I am, Kevin, but that's really bad is what that equals out to in total right there. So it, it's just I think you have to have some kind of heart-to-heart with him between the two games. You've given up 14 touchdowns in two games. I think the Broncos had like 19 or so touchdowns all or 20 something like low 20s touchdowns all of last season. To, so to see them give up 17 or 14, whatever it is, they're still letting people score is what it feels like, Kevin. That's where I'm kind of at with it. So Vance Joseph is the big one that I think need that domino that needs to fall. But really, when you if you look at it kind of objectively or if you're I know a lot of fans are just ticked off about losing and about being bad and getting boat raced by the Miami Dolphins. But man, Justin Simmons hasn't been healthy, but he should be back next week. Baron Browning, he's been on the PUP. He could be your team's best pass rusher. He's eligible to come back now after week four. I think they could make another change, like throw Riley Moss, a third round pick into the mix at corner. Damari Mathis just doesn't have it this season. So whatever he's got going on, throw Riley Moss out there and see what he can do. But You get Justin Simmons back. Hopefully soon you'll get Baron Browning back. A couple weeks later, you'll get Greg Dulcich back. Hopefully all in time for the Kansas City Chiefs, who the Broncos play in week six and week eight coming up here. So uh, I think a couple big changes could be made, but I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens there, how upset Sean Payton is over the defense. Yeah, and let's go back to the offense for a second, Sarah, because I think the wide receivers have been a topic of conversation for this Broncos team. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. Now, Sutton has three touchdowns, 20 catches, but Jerry Judy, I believe, just 11 catches on the year, no touchdowns. I know Philip Lindsay had some some stuff to say on, on Twitter after this game, and Jerry Judy was not shy. He fired right back at him. But what, what's kind of your assessment? Because there's no Tim Patrick again this season, a really brutal injury for him before the start of the season. What's kind of your assessment on the weapons that Russell Wilson has to throw to? As you mentioned, also tight end wise, there's been no Greg Dulcich for him as a security blanket. Yeah, the, the tight end position has given them nothing without Dulcich in the lineup, which is no surprise really, I guess. Although maybe expect a little more from like Adam Troutman to do something out there, but he has really not done anything wide receivers i i've taken a big issue with this position i really uh, 
before even the news about Tim Patrick going down for the year. Kind of felt like the Broncos needed to make a couple maybe minor investments at that position, maybe go after some late round guys in the draft like we're seeing Puka Nakua for, you know, the Rams and just taking dart throws like that on day three receivers. Not every guy is going to be like that, but shoot, they just haven't drafted very many skill guys. So it was great to see them go after Marvin Mims, who's been really nice, but he's also getting very limited snaps. And I think for me, Jerry Judy should be that top guy in the offense right now in the passing game for sure. He should be the one that they filter everything through because he's their best guy after the catch. I think he's kind of their most dynamic in space. You've got his ability to work underneath and Marvin Mims, his ability to blow the top off. It's just Cortland Sutton hasn't quite developed into that wide receiver one that we kind of all saw back in 2019 when you know Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen and Drew Locke were throwing the passes and he made the Pro Bowl. He hasn't been able to regain that form since tearing his ACL. Now, he's not slow or anything like that. He just hasn't been that same type of alpha guy at the receiver position. So he's a nice player, very solid, good team leader, high character. But is he a go-to guy? And I think that's what maybe this offense is really lacking right now. And maybe they have it in Jerry Judy. And with the Broncos there, you bring in Sean Payton, you trade assets for him you trade a bunch for russell wilson if the broncos were to enter this full full time rebuild which i don't think is i don't even know how realistic it would be because you also have to determine what you would do with patrick sertain and some of these other star players i think the broncos have the talent level to be really good there's just something that's been holding them back for the past couple of seasons whether you want to call it a rust decline or you want to call it the, the lack of chemistry between players what do you think has to get better for Denver in order for them to live up to the potential that some people still think they have? Yeah, I think it starts with kind of learning how to win, right? A lot of the guys on this team have been part of losing in the NFL and a lot of losing. So now you gotta, you, you've got to, as the players, figure out a way to shift that culture around. And I know the Broncos brought in people who have won a lot, you know, specifically, like you mentioned, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Those guys have won a lot. So I think you get guys like that in who know how to win games and you let them kind of hopefully dictate the culture. But those guys out there on the field, they've got the players. They've got to be the first ones to do it. I mean, you could point to any number of issues with the team defensively penalties, self-inflicted wounds like through the years that have just been really and it's not even just, you know, with within the penalties category, it's not even just well, they commit a lot of penalties. It's well, these penalties are really poorly timed. Like on third and one, multiple occasions against the Bears, you have false start penalties that push you back to third and six. And those types of things just cannot happen if you're a winning team. And I think you you can see when a team passes the eye test, they, they look like a good team. The Broncos haven't been that for most of this year. But like you said, they have the, the people in the building that I think could come through make some plays I think they have the the coach I think they have the quarterback it's just a matter of can they all put it all together I don't know and I don't know what that means for the team's future beyond the season we'll see what happens over there in Denver I don't know what they're gonna do but hopefully at least for Broncos fans it's been rough for them hopefully they want a couple more games over there and everything will come into place but for more on the Broncos and Sarah's work check them out over at the Locked On Broncos podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team Every day coming up in the second part of the show, I'll be talking with Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears about the Bears' perspective of that crazy comeback coming from the Broncos and what it means from Chicago side of things. So we're here to stay tuned, planning to talk about a lockdown NFL. 
But first, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. And these days, every potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs to find the right people for your team faster and for free. And for me, I've had a ton of success over on LinkedIn, finding jobs, finding jobs for people I know. And it's really easy to create a free job post over on LinkedIn Jobs. All you have to do is add your job in the profile hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. They have simple tools you can use, like screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just right skills and experiences who quickly prioritize who would like to interview and who would like to hire. And it's really important to both start and end the year strong and the right team member might help you do that. That's why small businesses are at LinkedIn Jobs, number one, delivering quality hires. We're sitting competitors. LinkedIn Jobs is to find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster, post your job for free. LinkedIn.com slash LockdownNFL. LinkedIn.com slash LockdownNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We're back here. It's our second segment of Lockdown NFL here on Monday, coming to you after Sunday's week four action. Kevin Ostriker still here with you talking football. Let's talk about the Bears now. We talked about the Broncos side of that crazy comeback, but Chicago was unfortunately on the other end of that. Lauren Cox of Lockdown Bears has it all for us about if it's already time for the Chicago Bears to throw in the towel. We'll talk about that now. The Chicago Bears are just, I don't even know the words. Dumpster fire comes to mind as they blow a huge lead to the Denver Broncos of all teams, losing 31 to 28. And we have Lauren Cox of Locked On Bears here to uh, talk. And if you see on, on the YouTube, Lauren's putting on the paper bag. It's time to bring out the paper bags. And we're talking about if it's ready for the Bears. If it's time for the Bears, throw on the towel at this point. Lauren, I know this was just a, another game where – I don't think it was Chicago's year this year, but at least I expected a little more from them to start the season. They've now lost 13 straight games since trading away Roquan Smith, I believe 14 straight overall. How did, how did Chicago manage to just throw this game away in a game they were up 28 to seven? in? Yeah, I suppose paper bag's not great for the audio audience. So I'll take it off, but, but that's the feeling, right? The, the feeling is a permanent paper bag attached over your head, how they blew a 28 to seven lead. Well, some of it was taking the foot off the gas a little bit. You know, they, they, Justin Fields was 16 of 16 passing to start this game and still finished with career highs in completion percentage yards and touchdowns. He overall had a great game despite a late interception and a late fumble towards the end, but probably shouldn't have been put in the position to have to try and come back and throw the interception. But regardless, you know, they started running quite a bit more in the second half, trying to control the clock a little bit. And they were running decently well, but, you know, a penalty here, a penalty there, a miscue here or there in the blocking and a sack, you know, in there and things start to go backwards. You stop scoring. You, you take, you don't feel that momentum, that confidence, that aggression offensively. So all of a sudden the Denver Broncos defense starts to look less than historically awful. <laughs> I mean, this is the team that gave up 70 to the Dolphins and the Bears started having trouble scoring on them in the second half. It already felt like, you could feel the rumbles here. And really, this game turned, funny enough, there was a moment in the game when Sean Payton had his assistant coaches actually cut his long sleeves with scissors to be about a three-quarter length sleeve because I guess he was getting too warm. The Bears did not score a single point after that point in the game. It was all Broncos from there. So that really is what did it for them. But no, but defensively, it was just too easy for Russell Wilson at that point. It seemed like, again, the Bears also took the foot off the gas a little bit there. They stopped blitzing him quite as much as they did in the first half. They're not really a heavy blitzing team anyway. Things were a little bit too predictable on the back end. They couldn't stop the running back. You know, the Javante Williams got hurt, but McLaughlin, their backup, is just a speedster who was gashing this defense on the ground. And then Russell Wilson hit some play action off of that, and it was just everything fell apart. And we were reminded, too, that, hey, this Bears defense is pretty bad, too. The Broncos don't hold the there, – there's some real contender here for worst defense in the NFL. 
And I know if there's any silver lining in this for Chicago, Lauren, is the fact that they now at least for the time being hold the number one and number two overall picks in the 2024 draft. But it does raise the question of, you know, the Bears right now, they're 0-4. I don't think, again, a lot of people are expecting them to go and win a Super Bowl this season. But do you think that it's time for them to already throw in the towel, maybe a, a coaching change midseason? I mean, what is the future for the rest of this Bears team in 2023? Yeah, the Chicago Bears have never in their history of their franchise fired a head coach midseason. But if there's ever a time to do it, it was after this kind of a loss. When you have when you have a historic franchise record-setting start from your quarterback in this game and a, a, a franchise, or, I mean, a career-best game as well for him in this game against a historically bad Denver Broncos defense, it makes for a historic collapse. And that would be a good time for a historic firing in terms of the team's history. You know what I mean? It's just like, to, to me, firing the coaching staff firing the head coach here is not about okay we're going to fire him and then all of a sudden we're going to get better and try and turn things around this season you fire him because it's accountability you know it's ownership and the front office saying what we're seeing on the field is not acceptable and we're going to prove we're going to show the fan base that this is not acceptable and here's how we hold accountable when things are not acceptable on the field i don't think it's going to be the case they have a four days before they play the commanders on thursday that's not a good time to fire a head coach. Not that there's ever a good time to fire a head coach, but like the worst time to fire a head coach is when you've got four days to turn around and play another game. Maybe after that, you got an extended, you know, 10 days before your next game or I mean, bye week is not till week 13. So we're talking December, first week in December. You let Matt Eberfus go the whole time. Or, I mean, this, this, this Bears regime, I mean, this Bears ownership has sit and watched Mark Tressman let him finish out a whole terrible season. John Fox got to finish out a whole terrible season. Matt Nagy. I mean, they, they've never, they've been willing to sit there and take it while well, their team is awful and they let the head coach be on the sideline the entire season. So I'm not at this point, like I can't say that I'm expecting them to fire him midseason because they've literally never done it before, but I guess I'm hopeful that they could, but I can't say I'm expecting it because they just, they just never have. So then it's a matter of seeing what your young players are from here and see who, who belongs. It's an audition for the next head coach. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a young player on this team, do you belong for the next regime or are you going to be replaced next off season? And whether it is, you know, the Chase Claypool drama or the on-field product, some of the other stuff going on for Chicago right now, Lauren, do you do you at least feel like at the end of the year you, you'll be able to take away a couple of positive things from this team? Like, is there anything that you're at least hopeful for that you can see for the remainder of the year? I will say, like, part of the part of the question with the general manager as to whether or not he should keep his job or not is that he's done decently well in the draft. Like, a lot of his picks in the first two years here – aside from Bayless Jones, really, have been at the at, at worst, like, encouraging, right? They've got a bunch of young players in the secondary that are learning and growing along the way. And there's they've been mistakes, certainly, but, like, you're seeing these guys develop and make some progress there. And certainly, you know, a guy like Darnell Wright at right tackle in the offensive line, you're sure you're trying to see progress from him. And they got a couple young defensive tackles they drafted this year. Like, you can find some positives in some of these young players trying to make progress throughout the course of the year, specifically, and, and hope that some of those guys can turn into, you know, foundational pieces for your team for the next head coach to build off of that and use the Bears have another hundred million dollars in cap space this upcoming season plus maybe the top two picks in the draft or two tip two picks in the top five at the very least and you know a new head coach can bring some energy with some resources although I mean that's what Matt Eberflus was supposed to do too so we're we're kind of back to where we've been. Major shout out to Lauren for providing the Bears insight. I know again it's been really rough over there for Bears fans so. For more on Lauren's work, check him out over at the Locked On Bears podcast. Paperback it all, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up in the final part of the show, we'll talk with Louis DiBiase of Locked On Eagles about the Eagles' undefeated start yet again 
So be sure to stay tuned for when to talk about Unlocked on NFL. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. We'll snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So maybe for the Bears game, I don't know if you bet the over-in points, the under-in points, but it was a pretty high-scoring game overall over there. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. We are back. Locked on NFL Monday edition. Kevin Ostriker still riding with you here as we're going to be diving into more NFL content. We talked Broncos. We talked Bears. Let's talk about the Eagles now. Louis DiBiase of Locked On Eagles as the Eagles are off to an undefeated start. We'll get Louis' opinion now on what it means for the Eagles and what it means for their Super Bowl chances and getting back there. The Philadelphia Eagles 4-0 for the second straight season after one over the Washington Commanders in week four. A little bit of a heart racer for Eagles fans, but they get the job done. Here to talk about that with me is Louis DiBiase, one of the hosts of Locked on Eagles. And Louis, I don't think there was any doubt that the Eagles are going to be a good team this year. Now, they did lose a little bit on defense, obviously both coordinators too, but this is a 4-0 football team. They have earned that, but how have they earned this win in week four against the Commanders? Yeah, it was an up and down game. It was a good representation of what the season has been. It's been more adversity, I'd say, than 2022. But this team is battle tested and they find a way to win. And that's exactly what happened today. The secondary got roasted by Sam Howell, plainly put. They were terrible and they needed their quarterback to win in a shootout. But Jalen Hurts, I think for the first time this year, really looked like his 2022 MVP form where the ball placement was on another level. The clutch passes he made in the fourth quarter in overtime, the game, which should have been the game-winning touchdown to A.J. Brown, and then to set up the field goal in OT. Uh, truly clutch ability from your franchise quarterback. That's what you pay him over $200 million, $200 million to do. So they won because of their quarterback today. And not to say they haven't won because of Jalen so far this year, but this was by far his best game of the season. And I think we're talking about this Eagles team defensively. It was going to be key for them to get off to a fast start. I know, you know, the, the commanders have been better on offense than I thought they were going to be this year, but what you see from this Eagles defense in this game that I know, again, it came down to the wire for them. Yeah, I think the pass rush actually was pretty good. For the four-man rush, they weren't really sending a lot of blitzes. Sam Howell was getting the ball off, and it felt like under two seconds every single snap. They did have, though, five players that had at least six pressures in this game. The linebackers were good, too. Nicholas Morrow, three sacks in this football game. The secondary was where the issues were. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jayon Dotson, that's a really good trio. And they made Darius Slay and James Bradbury look brutal today and it wasn't just them it's Josh Job, their third corner that's replaced Avante Maddox they're in some trouble right now teams are picking on him week in and week out and I think that was the weak link today so I think the secondary was a problem and their defensive coordinator Sean Desai I'm not sure what he was doing late in the game with these soft coverages in money situations like third and short he's having these corners line 10 yards off the ball some head scratching decisions I think from the coaching staff and the secondary today and that's why it ended up being a shootout. But I think the first two levels of the defense looked good as they have all year. The secondary right now, there's definitely some question marks, and that's something that was not the case in 2022. And going back to offense, I know there have been some questions about the Eagles running back usage this year and how, how they yep. distributed touches throughout their guys. Obviously, DeAndre Swift, a non-factor in week one, and then comes back. He apparently now is the Eagles' number one running back. Kenneth Gainwell, I know, 
had a role, then was injured, then came back and mm-hmm. still has a, a decent role. But Rashad Penny was signed in the offseason. He's pretty much been a zero. And then you have kind of Boston Scott filtering in at some point. So have you kind of agreed with what the Eagles have done with the running back rotation so far? I think DeAndre Swift has shown the last three weeks that he is by far the superior talent in this backfield, and he should be getting, to me, 75 to 80% of the touches. However, the Eagles do like to rotate their running backs. I think Kenneth Gainwell has been a little too involved for me these last two weeks. Last week, he only had two less carries than Swift, despite the efficiency being completely on another level for DeAndre. And then this week, I think it was definitely more Swift. Each week, he's becoming the featured back more and more. But there's an instance where... in third and 11 in the red zone where the game they're trailing in this game in the second half, they're running a draw play to Kenneth Gainwell. So there is still some over usage with who he is as a running back. I think he needs to be that second or third guy in this rotation. He is, but it's still the percentage of touches, the split between him and Swift. I want to see it definitely become way heavier in DeAndre's favor. So I think each week it's becoming more and more Swift's backfield, but they still really haven't fully committed to him the way that I feel like they did Miles Sanders last year. Yeah, and I think Sanders, you know, you got the pretty full workhorse. I mean, he's only getting, what, 12, 14 carries a game. Right, but right. I know that DeAndre Swift, they bring him in with Sanders going to Carolina. It's been a pretty solid fit so far overall. But, Louie, I know we've talked about it a bit off air, too. But the NFC has been a lot better than I personally anticipated this year. Sure. I know all the talk about the AFC having 12 to 14 playoff teams. The NFC, I mean, teams like the Cardinals are, are actually playing well, despite – all the stuff they've been going to well is a relative term, but regardless, I think you have teams in the NFC that obviously the Eagles are the team to beat coming off the Super Bowl appearance, but the 49ers have looked great again. Dallas, despite losing Trevon Diggs, that defense is, is playing well. Do you still see the Eagles is that team to beat top team in the NFC, or do you feel like there are a couple yeah. more teams that can compete on that level with them? Yeah, I think they're still, until proven otherwise, and they're one of the few undefeated teams left in the NFL. They still have, to me, the most talented roster, top to bottom, one of the top three, top five quarterbacks in the NFL, depending on who you ask. I still think they should be the top of the NFC until San Francisco beats them in the playoffs. They're the top team, but I think you're 100% spot on. The conference is way deeper than I thought. I thought this was going to be the AFC with so many good young quarterbacks in that conference. It was the Eagles in San Francisco and then maybe Dallas sprinkled in, but their big competition was going to be the teams in the AFC. But you look at how good Seattle's been this year, Detroit, um, you know, Green Bay's been scrappy. The team they played today, Washington, the commanders with Sam Howell are actually a pretty competitive team with a pretty talented roster on both sides of the ball. They have great weapons, a good defensive line. They're going to compete in the playoffs. I will say though, for like, the actual crown of the NFC, like who's going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. None of those teams still, I don't know, scream championship contender to me outside of San Francisco. And as you mentioned, the Trayvon Diggs injury before that, I would say Dallas was in that conversation, but the way Diggs is out now and the way Dak Prescott has looked, I think it's still the Eagles and the 49ers. And there's a pretty significant drop off, but again, with that middle tier, there's way more teams in there that are competitive that I didn't think were going to be. And I think you look at the, you know, the NFC South, for instance, all those teams like Tampa Bay's three and one. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. So yeah, I agree. It's definitely deeper, but the Eagles are the top team still. Yeah. The Baker Mayfield resurgence is, uh, is real. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. right I mean, now. who thought Baker Mayfield and Sam Howell were going to be leading teams that are 500 or more. So 
no, it, it's unreal. But in order for them to keep this up, Louis, what do they have to continue doing and what's working well for them right now? Yeah, I think what's working well is kind of their bread and butter, the trenches. Their offensive and defensive lines have been some of the best in the NFL. The run game is still elite. They can be the best run team whenever they decide to be. Uh, the passing game finally is getting going, though. That's the thing is if they're going to be the championship contender they were last year because they can win games. They can make the playoffs every year being a run heavy Tennessee Titans, you know, your former Baltimore Ravens type of team. But to be a true championship contender, they need to win because of the passing game more. They won because of the passing game today. They won because of Jalen Hurts. So I think the passing game needs to be the thing they lean on more. And they have all the talent in the world to be that team. So there really are no excuses. It was great to see kind of the roof get blown off in that area today. Louie does a great job over there on Locked On Eagles. If you want to go support him and his work, check him out over at Locked On Eagles, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. That's all I have for you here today, though, on Locked On NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe, follow along, audio form, video form. We're here for you five days a week. So be sure to stay tuned for everything we have coming up this week. We'll see you right back here tomorrow with our Tuesday host here on Locked On NFL.